Greetings, and thank you for joining us on The Spiritual Frequency, a podcast about magic, metaphysics, and mysticism in the modern world. My name is Dana Jean Walter of Camp Athena, Sonic Priestess, and The She Shed, and I'm joined with my wonderful, beautiful co-host, Miss Tangie Casty of A Grown-Ass Witch. Hiya. Greetings, my sister. <laughs> Back again. Hey. Thanks for coming for a sleepover last night. That was awesome. I just can't get enough. I know. Magic was afoot and continues to be so. <laughs> and our, our uh, hygienic ecosystem of knowing where each other has been allows us to be able to come together, social distancing-wise, to uh, see each other. Whereas a lot of people can't see each other right now. It sucks. Yeah, we just sometimes roommates because we know exactly where we've been. That's right. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? So in previous podcasts, if you've missed them, please go back and listen at your leisure. They're about 10 or 11. Um, But we've been talking a lot about how we have been able to see the opportunity to create a new world on the back of what seems to be a horrific tragedy. Um, But we're seeing it as a way for us to clean the slate and move forward into a new reality. So this week, we thought we would talk a little bit about the art of world building. Yes, world building for writers especially is anyone who does any script writing or book writing or television show writing. You do have to know, well, I should say you don't have to know. If you're going to be good at your job and you're going to create a product that people enjoy... It's about learning how to world build well. It's pretty helpful if you know the world that your characters are living in and what the rules are and what the topography is and what society is like so that you can write realistic characters reacting in a way that makes sense for the world that they live in. Correct. As opposed to the one you're in because a lot of times we go to our sci-fi fantasy shows and movies and books because we want to escape our current world and go to a world where the rules are different or maybe slightly off from our own, however you look at it. So world building is a really good skill to uh, learn and wield with good acumen. Yeah, and I think as magical creatures, it's an overlooked skill. Correct, and it's a, vi- it's a vital skill. Because why? Because magic enables us to remix our reality. If you can dip into the stuff that the universe is made out of, You get to build your own Legos. Yes. And if you don't like Legos, make something else. Yeah. (laughs) So today we want to uh, kind of talk about what are these pillars of building a world? What what are they built upon? Um, Obviously, there's incredible archetypal knowledge and historical knowledge. And if you've plumbed the depths of Jung or you've plumbed the depths of Joseph Campbell or, you know, any number of these great um, exposers of how the mechanics of archetypal stories work mm-hmm. and what we do as humans throughout our histories and lineages to tell the stories of ourselves right, are really what good storytelling and good bardic work comes from, which is also a very important skill for magicians and also... Um, those that are fully human, mm-hmm. I think, immerse themselves in the stories of and being able to to orate them. Because so much of our lives prior to the written word was oral tradition. Yeah, one big long game of telephone. And we... And in, choose your own event. Right, but we <laughs> sort of like gave the storytelling to the person that we felt was best suited for retaining the details and getting it right. 
rather than just handing it down from one person to the next person to the next person to have it become some weird version of what was the truth of what was occurring. So we gave people who had a special skill set this wonderful job of preserving our histories and preserving our lessons and our stories and taking them from one place to the other within our communities. So that is a pretty awesome rock star job. And it has transferred in the modern era into our writers and script writers and our directors and the storytelling that we see is has a huge visual component a lot of times as well. That's how we are currently preserving those archetypal stories. I mean, as much as we can say, boo, boo the mouse, they learned very quickly. Like their whole business is resting upon their ability to forecast Mm -hmm. that which will be the archetypal stories and possessing and owning them. I mean, as much as people want to say, oh, the grim fairy tales or Hans Christian Andersen, they were great collectors of stories and understanding what stories would be relevant still. And they marketed themselves as the writers of these stories, but they weren't. They were the collectors of these stories who learned how to capitalize and put their name stamp on it so then future generations would say, oh, that's a grim fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Well, that fairy tale existed long before the Brothers Grimm decided to put it in a book and print it because now we can print things and not just orally tell them. People can sell the book and make money. Mm -hmm. Hans Christian Andersen did the same thing. Aesop's Fables. Aesop's Fables, the same thing. It was like whoever collected them and then branded them. As opposed to, like, were they world builders? Meh. They were collectors of world building stories. I don't know. I could spin off on a tangent here because I am kind of of a belief as a storyteller myself that the stories that I tell are not mine. Right. Um, That they're being transmitted to me from the universe because they are our stories. Yes, but you still craft them mm-hmm. in a way that people give a fuck to sit down and listen to you do them or to read you doing them because you do it with a skill that and, and a, a way to capture the attention. Somebody could be standing on the street corner monotonely, you know, speaking the Orphic hymns and no one's going to freaking listen to them. Bueller. Right? Bueller. So I think there's a there are many layers here of storytelling and world building is the world and the world building comes first with whoever is making the story and then you also build the excitement as a storyteller in your your performance right you know capabilities and that doesn't necessarily mean and like here's another thing that's crazy about frequency stories stay in our brains better when they have a musical component to mm-hmm. them because we will, our brain will hook on to a melody and the melody will help us hook on to the words, which is why even in Alzheimer's work and dementia work where they're discovering that, you know, people can't remember their own history, but they can remember songs and then those songs help them remember where they were right? when they knew that song. So that's this linkage in the memory. Like we, we learn so much faster and we record it deeper in our being when there's melody. So bardic scholars who traveled throughout the world singing and telling stories were as as popular as they were by how well the melodies that they wrote were catchy enough for the populace to remember the story. Well, like we can all still remember the nursery rhymes we learned when we were children, even if that was 30, 40, 50 something years ago. And one of my favorite stories of, of 
melody and public service announcement is Ring Around the Rosy, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down, is is a plague story. That's a plague <laughs> public service announcement from the Black Death, you know? And so we remember those things. And there's a whole nother show that I want to do for sure soon about frequency and programming and how our whole world in advertising has like hijacked our brains using this bardic world building storytelling mechanism that's really harsh yeah they so, hook you with the melodies man that's right but for today we're talking about world building and one of the things we have to talk about too is that we you know we're in this you know the reason we wanted to do this topic today because tangy and i have been doing our own magical work as well as collective magical work recently about world building but in order to build the world that we are devising and creating as magical creatures you have the opposite of that which is you have to also become a destroyer of worlds i am more than willing to to dance that dance yes i mean that you know whether it's the story of kali ma or um you know durga or like any uh, ragnarok like any kind of epic story has an epic ending of the way things were for the new thing to happen. Inanna coming, you know, going down into the underworld, mm. you know, Jesus having his story of of, you know, birth and then death and then resurrection, which that has been a theme that has gone through many different cultures for millennia and millennia. It's like written in the stars this kind of epic story, you know, the whole tarot journey of the fool to mm -hmm. the, you know, coming out to coming the world. out to the world and with what's happening right now in our collective conscious and reality is really feeling like an ending. I mean, it is an ending. Nothing's going to go back to the way it was. So how do you properly destroy a world? You okay. know? So I feel like now is the time for us to give our usual disclaimer, which is we're not experts. We probably don't know what the hell we're talking about. Nope. Um, these are our thoughts, ideas, feelings, and perceptions about the energy that's around us. And this is the way that we interpret it. Your interpretation may be something completely different, and that is cool. Because you have free will, and you get to do what the fuck you want. Yep, and so do we. So That's right. Um, there is the official disclaimer. So here's the deal. Um, we are in a situation where we want to talk about world building, and we are, we're approaching this both as magical creatures and as writers. This is not a workshop on world building for writers. We should probably disclose no. that. We can do that another time in another place in another space. We will be happy to connect you with that when we've got it up and running, if we ever decide to do so. Mm -hmm. um, this is about coming at this as magical creatures who are taking a hold of the steering wheel and saying, this is the road that I want to take now. And it's also us, our observations on ways that humans who are navigating their way through and stumble fucking our way through whatever this thing is that we're dealing with with this pandemic and the world and everything, all the systems that we have come to rely upon that are obviously no longer going to be serving us in the same way they were before, how do we forge ahead and know where stable ground is, where these pillars of our world are when, when the sand is shifting on our feet so fast that it's it's like vertigo making. Mm. And so many people are literally falling down from the slightest thing. So the first thing I want to talk about today is energetic, personal, magical hygiene. Yes, please. Now, 
we're all running around. If you're a concerned and participatory, active in your in your experience human with proper personal protection, face masks or gloves or what have you when you're out, going out, getting your essentials. Or you're just not going out. Or you're not going out. We all know, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. There's a lot about this virus we do not know. Um, so therefore, we have to take as many precautions as possible. So yes, that is a hygienic practice of your physical meat suit to make sure that you're not spreading this stuff around. Right. I am talking now about your energetic and your spirit and your spiritual, if you have a path of it, um, hygiene and how we also behave with each other. Right, because your physical body is not your only body. Correct. You have an etheric body. You have an energetic body. And, and it precedes your physical body. Right. It, it exceeds the boundaries of your physical body. But it proceeds. Like you're going to enter a room. Your energetic body enters a room long before your physical body actually walks in. People can feel you coming. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not necessarily like we're at a place right now where it's not just like, some people who have the ability, like we are all ramped up now that even people who didn't think they had the ability are starting to understand that there's more to this than meets the eye. Correct. So take that awareness and understand that you are projecting your energy outward and whatever that is, is interacting with everything and everyone around you. Yes, you have to be aware, in my opinion, that your ramped upness means that you have boosted your um like i talk about this in camp athena like we all are given at birth our free will sovereignty that is about 20 acres okay so your job is to keep that 20 acres healthy pruned protected boundaried because that's your space and most of us are only aware of the amount of that space that flows from fingertip to fingertip. We're not even aware mm -hmm. that our self extends beyond the boundary of our, our physical flesh. body. Yeah. Correct. So this 20 acres is the sacral geometry relation of how much your physical body takes up, then placed out in correct proportions to equal that 20 acre field. Okay, and it's not an actual 20 acres, like the literal counting of acres. I'm saying this as an energetic body just to help the math be easy. Yeah, you're not walking around surrounded in a giant cubit. That's right. not what's happening. That's not what's happening here. So if we were to make the math simple and, simple and to say that your physical body takes up 10 of your acres and you extend another 10 acres in your etherical energetic body. Okay, that's mm -hmm. your 20 acres. You're moving around in that bubble, which some people call their unidentified flying object. And when you see all those little orbs that people see in the cameras and stuff, and sometimes it looks like there's tiny little humanoid forms in the middle, I'm of a, and again, this is a whole other show, I'm of a mind that that's people moving around in space and time in their 20 acre orbit vehicle. Okay, which we some call the Merkaba, but that's, Whole nother show, whole nother show. Anyway, so when you have that edge of your 20, everybody around you has their edge of their 20. And sometimes we create an international water space where your 20 and their 20 meet and they kind of cross over a little bit. 
And then, and that becomes like that space that's both yours becomes kind of where we have a negotiative Congress summit of our beings to negotiate space and time around each other. So when you give your energy away to people, as, as some would say, you're acquiescing and allowing people to come into your 20 acres more than maybe mm. you ought to for health. So when we talk about boundaries, we talk about your edge of your 20 acres needs to be solid or permeable, depending on who it is, because that's all contractual negotiation right. you have. And we're making those contracts with people in millifractal milliseconds. That's how we, when you're walking down the street or you're walking down a hallway and someone's coming toward you and you get out of phase and you do that little dooley dancey thing like, oh, are you, are you going to, oh, okay. Like that's when we, we hiccup those negotiations because we're not paying attention and somebody dropped their ball and we get out of, otherwise we'd be slamming into each other <laughs> everywhere we go, right? This is how animals move through the world. This is how, like we had talked about in the past, birds can be flying at Mach 9 through the world. They encounter the energetic phase of a tree. They alight on a branch. They don't just smack the frick right into the trunk and die, you know? <laughs> This is how most of the world negotiates its space. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about world building. You first have to understand your place in the world. Right. Because in order to have an influence on your world, you really have to understand your own hygiene in it and what you are or are not doing. Does that make sense? Well, right. As somebody who's sensitive and picks up on other people's energy like a sponge, it is crucial for me when I am in close relation to others that I am aware of how permeable my boundaries are that I'm aware of how much I'm giving and how much I'm receiving from other people for me the challenge is when I go to bed at night and my spouse lays down in the bed next to me I pick up on his day everything that he's gone through all of his frustrations, all of his emotions, things that he has dealt with, things that he has not dealt with, what have you. It's all accessible to me. And for me, that's a difficulty. That is that is me wanting to say to him, hey, you are not practicing good energetic hygiene. You know I'm sensitive. Keep your stuff to yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you go out into the world and you are in a world that's full of people who are in a similar state of like unconsciousness about their energetic body, if you are a sensitive, you get bombarded and it's exhausting. It doesn't matter how well you protect yourself. Every time somebody runs into, let's say somebody runs into my energy field and it's like a bug zapper, right? So my energy ramps up to, to meet that collision and ward it off. And so I successfully ward that off and they don't take on that energy, but I have lost some of my energy in the process. And this happens thousands tens of thousands of times every single day. So when you meet somebody who um, is sensitive and will say, will say to you, like, these are things that are common with like highly empathic people. I don't like crowds. I don't like going to parties. I don't particularly enjoy going to the grocery store. I don't like loud places. Um, it's because we get overwhelmed. We get drained by those interactions. There are some people who get charged by those interactions. I'm one of those people. But there are other people who are absolutely drained by each and every contact because not everybody is aware of their energy body. And just like any skill, like lifting weights to create more resistance in your body 
and so that your muscles shred and build and shred and build and shred and build. Mm -hmm. If you are a person who finds that they are more sensitive, I believe everybody's empathic. You just, whether or not you're exercising that, Mm -hmm. if it's atrophied or not, is really the case. But if you are a person who's a highly sensitive person, you have to weight lift more to be able to build up those boundaries and buffer that stuff up so you're not... I mean, I've known people that uh, I've, I've assisted them becoming aware of their empathic state where they realize I created a whole mental health crisis in my life to deal with what this was because I didn't know what it was. And you're telling me that all of these feelings that I've been feeling my whole life aren't even freaking mine. And that revelation has been sometimes very crippling for them for a moment while they then go, oh. But it's a relief. But it's a relief because you think you're going fucking crazy. Yeah, so your options are to learn how to build better shields and keep them up for longer times when you're out or to go live in a shack on a mountain somewhere and stay away from people. Correct. (laughs) So as we're in this, like it's so ramped up out there, like even people who have no perception of this stuff, are feeling it. Mm-hmm. So that means a lot of things happen sideways. You're going through your Burger King drive through and they frick up your order. And you have a fucking meltdown because you got the wrong size price. I've done it. I've done it when we've not been in a pandemic because I'm like, seriously, for this kind of money, you can't fucking get my order right? Like, really? But in this ramped up environment, it's not about what they did or did not do that you're upset about. Nope. You're being upset about all the things you can't control. All the things that are happening, everything's falling down around you. And chances are the one place that you can kind of maybe control something is the crap food you put in your mouth because you're making a choice to kind of pacify yourself. And somebody fricked up your order and you have an ugly cry toddler meltdown because... It just was the last straw. Which is fine. Which is totally valid and fine. Have your meltdown, but have it alone. Do not hijack somebody else and take them on that ride with you. That's not fair. It is not welcome. And moreover, there are consequences to that. And there are a lot of people right now who have been the unseens, the people that are at our convenience stores taking our money Mm -hmm. that we have the interaction with, the people that are delivering our pizza, the people that are delivering our groceries. I came across, it was two days later from the event because just so much I can't always follow the social media of all my peeps. I have a beloved in Florida who's been doing DoorDash and delivering and had two incidences in the same day where somebody had a meltdown on her because they're being unreasonable in their ask of what and their expectations of what this delivery system is now and then didn't get things right or what have you and she is the the happiest most joyously loving person I have ever met like she just even when she's having a bad day she's doing so gracefully (laughs) to see her sobbing on an Instagram video because she's just had enough and was just like come on people really My heart just broke right in half for her because for her to reach that place, I know what it takes for her to reach that place because I know her. And I said, who do I need to beat the fuck out of that Mm -hmm. made you cry like this? Because I'll take them out. I'll take the karma points. That's just not acceptable. And then I had to check myself and say, oh, have you done that lately? Um, (laughs) Also, not my problem, right? Like can't, 
can't go fix everyone else's problems. Right. But but it it's like kind of what sort of inspired our, our discussion mm-hmm. today because I'm like, okay, we all need to check our shit and, and really look at our energetic hygiene. Yeah, and be emotionally aware. Don't be emotionally blind, deaf, dumb, and blind. Like you... You know how you're feeling. You, with the exception of a handful of people in our society, most of us understand how other people might be impacted by our actions, words, and and our emotions. Most of us get that. If you are a person who does not have that kind of empathy, you get that by picking up other cues and you have to be even more aware now. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to pay even more attention now. Yeah, if you're not a a neuronormative person, it's going to be even more difficult for you to traverse what's out there because it is so blown out of proportion. And, and it's coming out of nowhere. It's, you know, you're not mad because you didn't get your butter brickle ice cream. You're mad because you haven't seen your, your mom in six weeks, because you haven't seen your lover in six weeks, because you're anxious about where your money's going to come from to pay your rent, because you just scraped together the less of the money that you had for that stupid Instacart order, and all you really wanted was the damn ice cream in the first place. So now that's the fuse. Yep. And all of that is valid. Yep. Light the fuse. We should be angry and uncomfortable with what is happening on many, many levels. But not at each other. But taking it out on each other is not the solution we need right now. Well, because here's what happens. Frequency-wise, either. Yeah. as As a former Instacart shopper before the pandemic, this is what happens. Your person who is shopping for you, all right, who is putting themselves in harm's way to go shopping for a complete stranger who they assume cannot do this for themselves, right? We always assume the best of people. It's not just that you're lazy or that you don't want to. It's that you can't. It's unsafe for you. You have small children at home, whatever. We're going to do this for you because we can't. So we go to this place. We spend 20, 40, 60 minutes picking up your items for you, bagging them appropriately. A lot of these items may not be available because pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. They didn't have the two-ply Charmin. I got you the Angel Soft instead. What have you. Pack up your stuff. Pay for your stuff. Drive it to your home. Deliver it to you. With no contact. With no contact, if that's what you've asked for. And then... Walk away feeling like they've done a good deed only to look down at their app 10 minutes later, an hour later, to find that you have taken away the tip that was promised and you've left a nasty comment about them because you wanted Charmin, not Angel's off. Okay, so that happens once a day and you're not phased by it as the Instacart shopper, but when it happens and you've had 20 orders today and seven of them have stiffed you, do you think you're coming back to work tomorrow? And what does that mean to the people who cannot leave their homes? What does that mean to the elderly shut-ins who are at danger for leaving their homes? It means there is one less person available to go get their groceries for them because of the pissy bad attitudes of other people. Over first world problems. There are consequences. Mm-hmm. Not only have you have you maybe hurt the feelings and the energy of your Instacart, Grubhub, Postmate, what have you, but you may have done so at the expense of them deciding not to do that work anymore, which means nobody in your neighborhood is getting service anymore. And maybe they're not able to then handle it. And, you know, it could cascade into a mental crisis for them 
which might just be the final straw for them. You never know what someone else's shit is going on. We all need to be remembering to walk through the world with a lot more kindness and compassion for each other because really, are you gonna die because you don't have your butter brickle fucking ice cream? I love ice cream, don't get me wrong. And it, butter brickle happens to be my favorite. So, but I also know how rare it is to find it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, perspective. Well, and here's the thing. I don't know. I have no empirical evidence to support this, but I believe it to be true. Bad energy is twice as contagious as good energy. Right. And so when we come to talking about, you know, this hygiene that we all are, I think, charged to start looking at, we can no longer be tone deaf to each other. Yes, it's okay to disagree with people. Mm -hmm. You should not agree completely what a boring universe it would be if everybody freaking agreed with everything think for yourself do you you know but the reality of the situation is is we're losing our ability to have discourse and discussion and debate because everybody's running around trying to make it so that they're right and that's not going to work so as we're watching this world we've lived into this point decay break down Tanji and I have been talking about both through our magical practices and our, our, our current class load that we're handling and learning more because we're always learning. What is the world that we want to have next? Because we're not going back to the way it was. So as magical creatures, what is our DJ mix of the things that worked? How do we mix out the things that didn't work or that we no longer want and what What are the basic pillar constructs of this world we want to build for ourselves and others? Now, here's what's real about collective consciousness. Okay. I can have whatever fucking reality I choose. I can wake up in the morning and say, the sky is yellow where I live. Now, I can see that out of my eyeballs with my power of being, I can color the sky yellow. Convincing Tangi that the sky is yellow? Yeah, I'm gonna probably have a harder time doing that even though we kind of think in similar veins sometimes, but she has free will. She's like, it's fucking blue, bitch. That's that's fucking science. It can't be yellow. Like, can't I can't be see yellow. Pegasus is good. Right? <laughs> so uh, that's not how our cones work in our eyes. But my reality, as we know from people who are, who see, have, have hallucinations or what have you, it can, or on drugs or what, whatever the thing that triggers your brain, like our brains and our beings and our spirits are really freaking powerful. So we can make anything happen. I can say that there's no tree in front of me and I can make it disappear. I can't convince the person that's walking down the street that it's not there. So there's a certain buy-in that we have in the collective consciousness that says this is the world and the way it is. We've all kind of agreed that this is the construct. But as the construct is falling apart, Mm -hmm. what happens to our agreements about what's real? Well, I think is figuring out what is important. And that's a really big question because it it's different for every single person. My priorities are different from your priorities. But we as a group in the current, let's say the current fading reality, all right, we have set up a model that is based upon competition. We have decided that winning is important. And greed 
having, having all the things is important, mm-hmm. right? Th- those are the things that we collectively have decided are the important things. That's what means you won the life game. You're, right? You won survivor. Yeah. You, you got more things than other people and you won more arguments than other people and you dominated other people to get what you wanted. So it's like you're winning at life. That, that's the model that is in its death throes right now. What we have to decide collectively is, is that the model we want to bring forth and rebirth at this time? Do we want to stay in competition mode? Is it fun? Are you enjoying yourself? If you're winning, I bet you are. But there's such a small fractal percentage of people, quote unquote, winning by those rules. Right. And so here's, here's how I feel about the competition model. Um, I've thought about this. Like, where did I first learn about competition? Like, when did I first learn about competition? And more importantly, competition was about scarcity. And it was a stupid grade school classroom game. And I've never gotten over it. Right? So you know this game where you put all the chairs in the circle? And then you play the music. And then when the music stops, you sit down in the chair. But there's not enough chairs for everybody. Musical chairs, yeah. This is a terrible game. It is because it's also hijacking frequency. I digress. <laughs> but this oh. is the game where we learned that if I win, somebody else loses. So we, we spent all this time teaching our children empathy to care about one another. But then we tell them that they have to take things away from each other. So this is the model that we live in now where we're all competing over not enough chairs. Well, you know what? There were always enough chairs in the room. They just weren't all in the circle. But somebody decided that there was going to be a shortage on purpose. Yep. Which, a whole nother show, we talk about who's controlling your collective reality. Who's doing that? We have an opportunity to change that. Correct. And I'm, oh, that's twice I've said that word. I need to write it down. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we can go from this competition model into a collaboration model, which is the model that we tell our children that they're supposed to be practicing. Those are the words we say to them. But it's not what we model to them. No. So if the words that you say to them are, you need to work with one another to kind of like come to an agreement where maybe everybody doesn't get exactly what they want, but everybody gets some of what they want so that nobody feels unhappy, so that everybody feels satisfied on some level, so that nobody loses. That's what you tell them. So how do you model that in the you world? You poured all the toilet paper. <laughs> so here's your op- here's here's a place where you and can... And then you wonder why, and when they're teenagers, why they don't listen to you. Because yeah. they're like, you're full of shit. I've watched you all these years and you lie. Yeah, you don't, you don't walk your talk, so you're a hypocrite. I remember having that conversation with my mom. I think I was like 14 or 15 years old and just looking at her and telling her that she was a hypocrite and I could see her. And it breaks my heart to think of it now because I know she was doing the best she could do. Mm-hmm. Because she was also raised in the same way, right? Um, especially, beget, beget, beget. Yep. So how do you break that line? You build a new world. Mm-hmm. And it starts with you. You can start with a grand vision, which tends to be me. Like, I want to save the whole world and I want us all to have everything we need because there's more than enough for everybody. We just need to remember how to share and do the logistics of moving stuff around so everybody can have, none of us should be starving. None of us should be cold. None of us should be sleeping outside unless we want to. It's like what Mr. Smith said in The Matrix, though. Like, they first made a construct for the humans where they got everything that they needed and they everything they want and they and it just... It was a horrible crash and burn because they had no struggle. But there will still be struggle. Mm-hmm. The struggle will be mortality. We can't we can't defeat the de- the death. It's coming. So <laughs> why not live as much as you can live before it gets here? Why not make sure that everybody's living as much as they can live before the end? Well, I mean that's that's 
I like that model better than competition at this yeah. point. I, th- I mean, I'm a very competitive person, but that that to me, like there's a lot of people that take competition and they internalize it as opposed to externalize it, where it's constantly trying to best yourself, like or, top yourself's accomplishment. Or it's always personal. Yep. The world is out to get me. Mm-hmm. It's personal because every time I try, I get beaten down. So there's no point in trying. There are some people that believe that they have been pre-programmed and predestined to fail because they weren't born into a position that they felt like they could get a foothold in the world. Sometimes it really does depend on where you start. It's far and few people in between that start from nothing and end up with everything. Those, those stories are legend for a reason. Most people do a little bit better than their parents and that's not even true anymore. So how do we shift that? Magic. Yay, magic. <laughs> so here's here's the things that we wanted to talk about. And they're just, they're questions, they're not answers. So that we can all start thinking about what it is we'd like to build collaboratively, starting on a personal level and then moving out into your immediate sphere of influence and then maybe out into your neighborhood and then maybe out into your town and then maybe out into your state or region or what have you. Because the energy field that you're generating can influence the energy field of the person next to you. And if they're vibing on the same thing, then we start to build a lot of good energy and a lot of collective effort. So what are the questions that we should be asking about the world that we're building? What are those questions, Tanji? Okay, so the big question is what is important in the world that you're building? And that goes to foundations. What are the foundations? What are the support pillars that you are driving into reality to hold up the life that you want to live. What is important there? What is it that you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. Where's this going? You're telling a story and we know stories go somewhere. Well, I think the hardest, most biggest task for people to even ask these questions is you, you need to school your thought process and your heart together to be able to imagine what's possible and go beyond that without qualifying it and saying it can never happen. Nothing is impossible. It maybe is improbable given the way that you are currently thinking or given the current level of technology available, but nothing is impossible. But we also have to dial ourselves back to the state of mind that we were when we were small children Mm -hmm. and we hadn't been schooled in the ways of hard life or programmed by our parents or our lineage or our inherited belief system what was possible because kids will dream up the craziest shit unbidden i am unhindered i i had the opportunity to look through some portfolios where i had stashed away some artwork of my son's from when he was small and some of my own from when i was younger when I was drawing my dream house. And I'm pretty sure the technology is available for me to have a pool in the backyard with a slide and to have the pool be filled with whipped cream. I'm pretty sure that's a thing I could have if I really wanted it. And so that is what like my six-year-old self was like, this is my dream house and there's a pool in the backyard that's filled with whipped cream and you can slide down the slide into the whipped cream and it's awesome. I could have that. It would make my inner child absolutely squeal with delight. But that's the first step in terms of looking at foundational possibilities is you have to first be willing to be open to be ridiculous. Well, and understand that the goal there wasn't the whipped cream. It was the delight. Mm -hmm. 
I wanted a delightful life. Right. That's the root foundation of why is what's your motivation. And what do you want to accomplish? I wanted the world to be delightful. Mm-hmm. I didn't imagine a world where they're where like having a pool full of whipped cream would be a hardship. Like it's just whipped cream. Like you just get some cows and they do some milk and then you whip it up really fast and you put it in a pool and then you slide down the slide and it's wonderful. And then you lick it off and you're yeah. done. <laughs> so start looking at impossible as a terrible world. It's, it's like, like Alice in Wonderland. Think of, you know, at least 10 impossible things before breakfast. At one point in history, people thought it was impossible for us to fly. And then we build airplanes. At the time in history where that was impossible, that technology didn't exist. And that frame of thinking was only possessed by a handful of people. Who strapped balsa wood and fabric together and together laid on it and jumped off a fucking cliff with it. Because we're figuring out how aerodynamics work. How does this work? If birds can do it, we should be able to do it. I mean, just think about that for the moment. Like, how fucking absurd is that? It has to be in order to make things happen. I'm just going to strap on a helmet and jump off the roof with these wings and flap as hard as I can because it works for birds. Hey, it worked for Icarus for a little bit. (laughs) Till he flew too close to the sun. But there was some truth and the technology was there. I bet if you asked Icarus, was it worth it in the underworld? He'd be like, fuck yes, Yes. I flew, motherfucker. (laughs) Did you see me? I was awesome. Did you fly? Because I flew, right? On my own steam. I didn't have to even strap a rocket to my back. Da Vinci impossible it was impossible that anyone would ever think that we'd ever be able to look inside a body yep if he and people like him didn't do the stealing of the bodies from the graveyards to cut them open and look inside and figure how shit worked we wouldn't be understanding how to handle this pandemic even though we don't know yet we certainly wouldn't be living to be a ripe old age of 37 right oh my god much less 50 are you kidding me we would be and keeping our teeth in our mouth we would be worm dirt right now (laughs) so all of these things start with the impossible and i freaking charge every single one of you listening to this to sit down and for a half an hour be ridiculous be impossible and imagine the weirdest shit you could possibly imagine just to break the ice. Yep. I have like For the love of all of us, please. (laughs) Weird random daydreams about building a hydroponic structure, which is basically like a skyscraper with elevators in it and just nothing but just like riggings of of plants and water lines and being able to grow more food in a one block radius because I'm building it 10 stories up. And that seems completely doable to me. I'm sure that there are reasons why it's not being done, but it seems completely doable to me. We just don't quite have the technology yet. But if I keep thinking about it and I enlist other people to start thinking about it, there might be somebody out there right now who just heard that and went, oh, I got an idea. Get to work on it. And as we've talked about before, the collective consciousness and the muse process and the creative process Sometimes we really have to think about the collective consciousness of like a bunch of ones and zeros. And we are one big, huge processing server for humanity from the past, the present and the future working on a huge, big problem. So if you think of something impossible, you may never do anything about it, but you have the thought, which means somebody somewhere along the system 
suddenly has that thought too and figures out how to problem solve it. So you are doing your part. Maybe it's not your job to be the problem solver, but you are the problem generator, the the the, the possible generator. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how this frequency thing, I believe, and this collective consciousness thing works on a on a level that we cannot even comprehend, because the the idea, the concept that. I just spoke of as like a ridiculous idea, right? It's just, it's not possible with what we have right now, whatever. This ridiculous idea, I plucked that out of the flow of the universe, mm-hmm. grabbed a hold of that energy and said, okay, so this is the thing where I want to grow more food in one square block by building it vertically and taking advantage of the sun and the wind and the rain that are naturally available. And I have spoken that into being, and now it is out there bouncing around. Because you can't stop the signal. And it's going to bounce into somebody else who has an idea how to make part of that work. And then they're going to let it go. And it's going to bounce into somebody else who thinks of another idea that will make another part of that work. Until suddenly, one day, somebody builds it. In so many ways, we are all one big civil engineer. Yeah. Engineering civilization. So if your life's mission is about how do I nourish others and your idea is, well, how do I make food more available? How do we grow food more efficiently in less space? Because we got a lot of people and we need room for the people and right. So let that be like, don't keep that bottled up inside of you. Even if you don't have the answer, the question is the beginning. And foundationally, when we talk about these tenets of foundation of a world that we're building, that's when we have to imagine the impossible first. Mm-hmm. What else we got? So I went through and I sort of made a list of what, if I'm going to sit down and world build for myself, what my pillars would be, sort of the categories that I would put things in. These are just things that I spewed out of my brain. They are not the end all be all. They're just places to start thinking. Here are the things that are important in my world. Okay. The physical body. So taking care of our health and wellness and longevity and perpetuating our species, the physical body. And which you can also look at our Meat Suit Maintenance 2.0 episode from last week. Yay! <laughs> the energy body, which I don't think is as, is as important as it should be in the current reality. I want to make just as important as the physical body and the reality that I'm creating. I want us to understand our energetic. I want us to understand our relation between our body and our divinity. I want that to be a thing in the world that I'm building. And the whole frequency of our existence. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want is to make relation to others as important as awareness of self. I think, although I have no empirical evidence to support it, but I believe this to be the case, I think that consciousness is more than self-awareness. I believe that consciousness is self-awareness predicated upon and dependent upon the relation to other things and beings. Can I get a witness? Relation to others is important in the world that I am building because it is part of our collective consciousness. So then you get into like the stuff that seems like pretty basic, like finances and the legacy that you're building. Those are important to people. Maybe they're not important to me, but they sure as heck are important to other people. So why wouldn't that be a pillar in the world you're building if that's a priority for you? Uh-huh. Right? Creative expression. Very Im- important. Important to me. Gonna, yeah, that's gonna, food. Yeah. Going to be a central pillar supporting of the world that I'm building. Um, Romantic love, if that sort of partnership is important to you, make it part of the foundation of the world that you're building. You know what? 
I deserve and I will have and I do have a suitable romantic love in my life in the world that I'm building. So be it. So say we all. So say we all. What else is important in the world that I'm building? My soul's purpose. What is my archetype? Why did I come here? How do I live in service to that purpose? It's pretty important to me. Uh So is my life's mission, which is not my soul's purpose. It may become two completely different things. They may be things that are compatible. They may be things that seem completely incongruent. And I don't know why I, as a nurturer, decided that I needed to come here and become uh, a media mouthpiece to spread a message. I'm trying to nurture. Why am I talking? Right? So maybe those things don't make sense to me. But my soul chose that course for a reason. So I'm going to follow it through and it's going to be a pillar of my existence. Maybe the home that you live in and your domestic situation is important to you. Maybe shelter and home are issues of security for you and you want that to be part of the life that you're building. You want to know that you have home and security. Which is a root chakra desire. Take it. Uh-huh. Put it in your in your stuff that you're working on for yourself. A connection to the collective consciousness. Super important to me. Uh-huh. Going to be a pillar for me, right? Magic and the wildness and the weirdness, which is magic, going to be a pillar for me. I have to be connected to that flow. I don't, I don't know how to do the work I'm doing without it. Nope. That goes into self-development, self-awareness, love of yourself, acceptance of yourself. Hygiene of yourself. Yeah. But that can also mean understanding the boundaries and the limitations and the rules or laws or ethics that govern yourself. If you don't have a moral compass as a pillar of your world building, I don't know what kind of world you're building, but good luck. Maybe you're building chaos land and more power to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Chaos and free will have got to be components of the world that I'm building because I believe that chaos is what makes things move. And free will is the thing that keeps us alive. And helps us decide how we're going to proceed. Right? The mysteries and the unknown. I don't want to know everything. I don't want to be able to forecast my future. I want things to be a surprise. I want there to be a different ending to the story depending on which decisions I make. I want that to be a pillar. I don't want everything to be written out again. Or pre- yeah, or predetermined even though some have, you know, faded destiny as a part of their pillar, but I want to discover. Yeah. That's part of my personality and my needs. So it's about possibilities rather than impossibilities. Does your world strive for balance? Is there always going to be day and night? Is there always going to be light and dark? Is there always going to be feast and famine? Like, will there always be a scale tipping back and forth in your world? Is that important to you? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's the way the universe works and that you have to just have it? So those are just like some things. Other sources you can look at to find your pillars. If you're into astrology, the 12 houses of astrology, there are 12 pillars right there. I'm not going to go into it. You're in astrology or you're into it. You want to research it. Take a look. You want some more? Look at the major arcana from the tarot. Mm-hmm. There are pillars there. Um, Very archetypal system yeah. there. So there are lots of places where you can like pull from to figure out like what are the like the different compartments or categories that I need to look at when I'm building a new reality. Well, and these are not new concepts. These no. have been present from our ancients throughout millennia after millennia after millennia. Millennia. Can't say that word enough. Many, many moons. Many, many moons. Many, many cycles. This is not foreign information. This is reminder information because we, as a collective consciousness, I think, get overwhelmed and certain things get out of balance. And Mm -hmm. then 
suddenly instead of 12 plus pillars, we're looking at three or two. And the world eventually will topple, like empires have come and gone, because the pillars and the tenets of the underpinnings foundation of their society erodes when not enough balance is had. And these important things are overlooked or eradicated. Well, and humans are complex. We are not simple. It's not as simple as... I need food, I need water, I need shelter, I need to have sex and propagate. That's not enough for us. We will die on the vine if that's all we're worried about. Right. And we just had Earth Day yesterday, uh, which we've been celebrating for 50 years. Okay. <laughs> and I look at how we've fluxed up and down and our, uh, our desire and our willingness to put our energy and money and resources to, to bring us more into balance in with our planet. And we're causing so much discord in the natural world. And the natural world's job will always be to adapt or die. And a lot of times it dies. And, and several say we are in a sixth level um, extinction event that is like slowly happening right before our eyes or, or rapidly happening. But the tenants of those worlds are always cause and effect, mm. you know, always consequences of action. And we think with our hubris that we're immune to that. <laughs> and that's part of why I think what's happening is happening in my personal opinion. I have no proof of that, but I believe it to be true because this is what we're seeing. Well, the planet will be fine. Yep. She will shake us off like a annoying, you know, infestation if that's what she decides to do to take care of herself. She is the primary generative organism here. We are just little parasites. One of, <laughs> one of the elements that, that reside here. But if we have overgrown and we are taking up, up more resources and totally destroying the balance of the biome, something's going to happen. Well, vector spores happen to right the balance mm -hmm. in any, 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 any um, ecosystem. While we're looking towards building a world, I think in some ways it's about bringing ourselves back to these systems and practices that we forget. Well, and here's, here's something that I want to ask as, or maybe just like put out there as a possibility, because we're talking about places you can look at for building pillars to figure out what you're going to make sort of like the primary foundations of the world that you're building so that you leave plenty of room for other details to flesh itself out. Look at worlds that you would want to live in if it were possible, whether it's the world of a TV series, a movie, a series of books, what have you. There are aspects of those worlds which are attractive to you. You can mix and match those pieces and bring them with you. There's nothing wrong with saying, I would like the medical technology from a futuristic world like Star Trek. And then I would like the sort of gentrified agricultural life of living in the Shire as a hobbit. Those things are not incompatible. You can have all of that. So don't limit yourself by thinking, well, I need to like look at the technology that's available and live in that world. Like you can imagine anything and everything, grab the bits and pieces that will make you be filled with happiness and joy and contentment because the last thing you want to do is build a new world where you are in a place of fear and lack 
where you start setting up the competition model again because I think we can all kind of agree the competition would be better if we left it to like sports and games rather than matters of survival. Mm -hmm. So that's just a thing. Like the details matter when you're world building because they give some dimension to the world that you're building and they give you some anchors to hold on to. Sometimes when you recall a dream, what you recall is like the weirdest details. Okay, but like why were we on a bus that was painted magenta with googly eyes? <laughs> what, what The details matter because they give you an anchor to hold on to, like to pull you back into that place, that creative place that your brain was when you were sort of extrapolating what that world was going to be. So if you have details, write them down. Like if the detail is like, and on the seventh day of every week, we will venerate the sun by wearing yellow and eating corn dogs then that's what you write. Yay, <laughs> Because the details matter. They bring you to that place where you were feeling that joy and that limitlessness. And I think the core homework that we wish to inspire you to take up in dreaming the impossible and being ridiculous, finding in yourself and asking the question, what is the root or core of my desire mm. because if you cannot answer that question and be be at peace with it be be passionate about it any of these pillars do not rest on any kind of stable foundation if you do not ask yourself that question and answer that question what is the energetic seed you are planting what is the ground in which is the, your place that these pillars will be placed like because that is the food on which these pillars will draw upon to manifest the world that you have called into being and if your soil is shit mm. nothing's gonna grow and i mean and i don't mean that literally like if your if soil is actually shit it will be good it's because organic, it's organic and compost but if your soil is devoid of nutrients if it is devoid of any sustenance for said pillars, nothing's going to grow. And then you'll be sitting here with a dead world going, I don't understand what happened. I planted the seed, I watered the seed, but nothing happened. Probably, I'm gonna make an educated guess as a metaphysical practitioner, probably because you carried a bunch of subconscious, unconscious, negative shit with you into the process. If you don't believe that you can create a world, you're not gonna create a world. Nope, you're gonna live in an, a black hole space. That's constantly pulling things in and not output. But that itself, saying if you don't believe you can do it, then you won't do it, that itself is an absolute prime example of how powerful you are. Yes. If you believe you are a creator, you are a creator. If you believe that you are a fragment of the divine, you are divine. If you believe that you are destined to be a failure and to end up destitute and alone and heartbroken, then that's what's going to happen because you are powerful enough to make that so. Be mindful. Pay attention to the energy that you are giving to your world. And it, for the love of goddess, be nice and check your shit when you're interacting with people in this heightened awareness crisis thing. Because other people live in the world too. And you affect them just like they affect you. Right, and so if you start breeding the positive energy and the belief and the compassion and paying that forward, 
they can do the same. And the more of us that are feeling love and compassion for one another, the more love and compassion there is in the world and things can't help but get better. And that's not said in some glib Pollyanna way. That is just science. It's just energy. It's just frequency. How often a thing happens. If you sit in a room with really discordant, painful vibration, you're going to feel like shit. If you sit in a room with nothing but gentle, loving waves of sound that make you feel peaceful, you're going to feel peaceful. Science and how the body responds to frequency. How we are as humans, how we act as humans, what we say as humans, how we think as humans has a vibrational effect directly on your environment. If you're sitting in a world that you don't like what's happening, shift your frequency and inspire others to shift it around you and things will change. may take time. Mm. But it will change, but you have to continue to broadcast that signal to shift because it starts with you. You are the world. The world is you. (laughs) Our ancients have been trying to drum this in. They're like, let's spend 6,000 generations carving all of these people into this mountainside so they get that, look, compartmentally, we're all individuals, but together... We're one big collective. Do you know how many mountains in Asia have these images on them where they actually carved the figures? It wasn't venerating some type of a deity or something. It was just individual, same people going, you are me, I am you, you are them, they are they. And look, when we're all together, we make a grid. Check it out. It's relativity. Physics. Metaphysics. That's right. And to that end, shall we? We, we have done a reading today to help kind of zero in on this message. And uh, I have this new to me Oracle deck that I have been coveting, 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 coveting the images <laughs> for a long, long time. I actually just got to speak to Lizbeth online to tell her how uh, impactful this tool this divination tool has been to me and to thank her and megan for their work and um this is the divine feminine oracle um by megan watterson with the artwork by Lisbeth cheever guessman and i know you've seen on the interwebs a bazillion images from this deck if you do any divine feminine work because it's everywhere they're very distinctive the artwork is ridiculous and I've used this deck with us before in a previous podcast when I first got it and I've been spending more time with this deck and I just love it because every single image Lizbeth made on purpose, every single one of these divine mothers is looking right at you. (laughs) So you can sit here and stare at the card and stare into her and that's her with a capital H eyeballs and she sees your eyeballs and it's just so powerful. So I did a, a poll of cards for this topic of world building and what message do we as a collective consciousness need to have right now going forth in manifesting this new version of ourselves as we come through the fire of this pandemic because fire always makes a way for itself. 
and it is a cleansing element. It's, you know, as harsh as 2020 has been, you know, starting in the late part of 2019 in Australia where the entire continent was on fire. It is blooming. There is lots of new growth. There are animals that have been rehabilitated that have been being brought back to their natural habitat where it's safe for them to have been healed and they can return. And it's so it's slowly happening. And again, so much love for all of those people on the front lines and the rescue um, places that have like in the vets and people who went there to help and the money and the crafting. And it's just like humans can be amazing when they want to. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of amazing things happening now. We are going to look back 10 years from now. We're going to look back in this time and really honestly say, and this is where the shift really happened. It's been happening for a long time, but this is where the tipping point came. And I really hope we decide to tip into the next level up and take that path less trodden. So that's where my energy was when I pulled these cards. We're moving fast. Wherever we're going, fast, we're yeah. moving fast. So our first... Um, mother is Our Lady of Guadalupe. She offers us the protection of her starry um, shroud, blanket, head, you know, like shawl. She's really about being protected, both divinely protected and, and being safe where we are in our home. And that the mother is present with us at all times, whether you have a good relationship or not, with your physical, biological mother or your adoptive mother. And if you don't have those relationships, the divine mother is there to offer those aspects to you. She's the arms that hold you, the bosom that snuggles you, the breast that feeds you. She is home. And we're all being asked to sit the fuck at home. And I'm sure there's a lot of things about your home. Your your house is a is a receptacle of what your life is. So if whatever's happening in your life is something that you don't like, I will stand to reason that if you look around your house, the place where you dwell, if you're lucky enough to have a house or an apartment, the way your house is, is a direct relation to your world outside your house. So if there's stuff that you don't like that's happening in your reality, First, take a look at home and there's probably closets that you could unclutter or garages that need to be unfucked because once you let that energy flow and let it be clear and let it be the way you want it. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> you know you're dealing with your garage just like I'm dealing with my closets. Um, if that's the only place you can control because it's your home, the mother is there for you to say, look to your home where I am always and find the protection and comfort you need and clean up your room. <laughs> That's the shadow aspect of ourselves saying, and by the way, while we're doing all this, I'll love and hug you, but then clean up your room. So I just want to say, just looking at this card with Our Lady of Guadalupe, her eyes are stunning. She's covered in a veil of stars, but I also see her surrounded by red roses. And that is an aroma that I always associate with goddess is the aroma of rose essential but also understanding that she is wreathed by the beauty of the roses what you don't see is the protection of the thorns just on the outside of the card so mama's saying you're at home and you're safe and ain't nobody getting in here they're not getting through these thorns to get to you and come into my warm and loving embrace which smells like roses and fills your heart with starlight mm -hmm. 
It's beautiful, you guys. You've got to see these. The next goddess that came is also a great mother. She's an older mother in our lineages um, back. And she is Inanna. She's queen of heaven and earth. She's a Mesopotamian goddess. And I have worked with Inanna for years and years and years. And she is what I would equate. Her story is very similar to the story in a lot of ways of um, birth, death, and resurrection of the Jesus story. But the divine feminine version of it. And um, Inanna's descent is also equated a lot in psychology, um, especially union psychology, but a lot of women's studies will look at the story of Inanna as the, the story of women uh, collectively. So there's a lot of juice in there. Um, where she comes to us with the message today is about literally being, we're, we're, we're here in our home and we're protected so because we're in a place of power, a place of safety, she calls upon you to completely bury yourself, like being naked, being naked and understanding that you need to see and accept yourself exactly where you are right now, mm-hmm. not what you wish you were or who you once were, but who you are right in this present moment right now. Because there's nothing, you can't hide anything. Stripped of pride. It's stripped down to the bone. It's her having divested herself of her seven veils. And she's there before her sister in the underworld facing Arishkagil, who is grieving for her own husband and really hates her sister. And Inanna knows that she's going to her death. This is also about integration of shadow. As you're allowing... Because we have to allow, we, we talk about the hygiene and, and being prepared as this world decays of what once was. Um, there, That's what it's doing is it's decaying. It has to go or it will putrefy us all. Okay, we can't just cling and hold on to the rotting flesh, the rotting vegetation, the rotting ideals, the rotting, everything is rotting. Let it go, dissolve it, be the death. And we don't want to deal with death in this country. Mm-mm. We do not deal with it gracefully at all. I find it horrifically glaring that 70% of our death toll in the United States is occurring in our nursing homes and, and you know, our, with, with our elderly. Because we are in, we're such a youth worshiping culture that when you reach a certain age you are deemed useless which is complete opposite of all cultures of the millennials that you usually when you're older your wisdom is valued and you are higher exalted within the culture and we do the exact freaking opposite that this is hitting us where our wisdom keepers are is so telling to me how we're not dealing with our shit And I really challenge every single one of you to make friends with death and make friends with the fact that shit ends. I am attached to attachments and I've worked really hard to let that go because I don't like to allow things to run their course. I want them to keep going. I wish everything was... Because there's that part of me that says everything's eternal. So we should be able to get to have that in this life. Some, you know, especially when I have my beloved pets that I steward, like I want them to live as long as we do and they just don't. But I have to get to that place of allow. And Inanna 
really asks us for this integration period. You're safe in your home. The the you know Lady of Guadalupe is protecting you. The the mother's got her arms around you. So be okay with being naked. Be okay with being vulnerable. And go look at yourself in the mirror and deal with your mortality. Deal with the mortality of those that you love. Ask those deep questions. Do you have a death plan? If you were to suddenly get sick tomorrow, do you does your spouse know what your passwords are? Does do you know where your money is? Is do, do they have access? Like what's like these are practical everyday things with your death plan that you just don't want to talk about, but you better fucking talk about them because as a person who's gone through lots of my beloveds leaving early and my mom faced with my mom's mortality of her, you know, dealing with cancer that she will kick its ass, but it's going to kill her someday. We have had these conversations. We are having these conversations. We continue to have these conversations to make sure we know what the plan is. Do your work. The least you can do is plan your last party. Correct. How are you going out? Because this world is ending and a new world will will arise amongst it. Which brings us to our last card, which is uh, Serata Devi, which is the Divine Mother. I don't necessarily read these cards necessarily in like reverse, but she did come out reverse, which tells me there's a blockage there. Now, Serata Devi was a, a where, whereas the Virgin or the Lady of Guadalupe and Inanna are divine beings mm-hmm. that we 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 don't necessarily have an understanding that they were actual physical people that were born into this world. Whereas Sarada Devi was, she was born in 1833 and she was a, one of the first disciples of her guru. And then they, they had a divine marriage and then she ended up being a very kind of mother Teresa um, figure in her time, in her faith walk. And she was about how everybody is her disciple. Everybody is her child. Um, she's really about being in a place of non-judgment, like accepting everybody for who they are and as a divine, perfect creature. And here is the blockage because she's in reverse. I see this as something that we as a collective consciousness are facing right now with what we talked about early with our energetic hygiene. Everyone's running around going, me, 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 me. I'm freaked out. I'm freaked out with a certain percentage that are looking outside themselves and saying, what can I do to volunteer at a food shelf? How can I... I don't have very much, but I need to be out doing something. And I believe that that's increasing. I do see that's increasing. All these people that are doing art online for free, all these people that are putting out their tools for free, like, hey, if there was ever a time for you to do an online business, now's the time. Like, what's your thing? What's your jam? Here, let me help you. Of course, all of them in the end are going to upsell you on their thing because that's their life. That's their business. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of them are tone deaf. Some of them are doing it very graciously. There's stuff out there. So I think Sarada Devi asks us to really work on our ability to love everyone. We'll see one another. And see one another. You know, her message is about unconditional love. You know, she says it's it exists inside of us. And when that love is fully present, there is an absence of judgment. So when we're when we're you know, and I'm the most judgy pants person I know. So like, this is a challenge I have all the time. But I also know that I have within me the capacity for such deep brotherly, sisterly love that I want everybody to be as blessed and awesome as I get to be. But I also know that I made that happen by the choices that I, I've made. And I know it's within everybody to do that too, to have an enriched life. 
you know, and that's like my one of if I were to say what are one of my core foundational soils is living a fully enriched life. I want to live everything so fully that when I cross through the threshold onto the next phase of my being, because I believe the soul never ends and death is just simply changing the channel. That doesn't mean I don't have a healthy respect for it, but I, you know, I understand that death and I have a thing. But I want to be able to walk through that doorway and go, oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. I ate everything. I did everything. I crunched the bones. I sucked the marrow out. What the fuck is next? Okay. That's how I want to have lived my life. And I'm doing pretty damn good at it. I have had my foibles lately, <laughs> but I'm doing pretty damn good at it. And I, it kills me when I'm out in the world and talking to people and they have this lack of imagination. I understand that they've been beaten down. I understand that they have had challenges to overcome and traumas, but we are not the result of our trauma that is only a blip on our life experience. It's just an obstacle to overcome and everything is overcomable, everything. Because why? Because we have magic and we can program whatever the thing we want to have happen, but it does require skill, it does retell require discipline and it does require focus and, and a desire. So not knowing what that ground is, is going to inhibit you from being able to do this work. So, you know, that's the big picture mm. for me. And I thank these goddesses for coming forth today. I thank you, Lady of Guadalupe. And I thank you, Anana, Queen of Heaven. And I thank you, Sar Sarada Devi, who's the Divine Mother that was incarnate here on Earth. And I just thank you for showing up, my sister, and having a sleepover with me. Aww. And uh, bringing us breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> And there we go. If you're wondering about what it is you can do to nourish and fertilize the soil that you're planting your seed in, start with gratitude. Mm -hmm. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. It's an easy practice. Sometimes it's just going through the drive-thru and looking somebody right in the face and going, thank you. I see you and I appreciate you. Mm -hmm. It may be the only time they get it all day long. Be that person. Yeah, I, you know, was very blessed that our beloved friend Lynn came to us the other day and said, hey, I'm going to be popping over. I want to pick you guys up groceries. What do you need? And we're like, oh, you know, we're really at our end of our money thing for food this month. And she's like, that's not what I asked you. What do you need? Give me a list. And of course, I gave her a list that we all went through. We're <laughs> very frugal, like, nope, 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 nope. And then she shows up with all this stuff. And I, I can't even express enough my gratitude that my beloveds and I, we all care for each other as best as we can. And I hope that I can transmute that along the collective consciousness line, because I do know there are people who struggle with being alone. And I do know that there are people who feel that they do not have that kind of love. And I'm hoping that the abundance in which I receive it can be pushed out and felt, you know, so that others can do it and that's I, I strive with my gratitude work every day for that because I know when I can eat I eat for people who can't you know when I'm getting to take a because the goddess knows I praise indoor plumbing every dang time I use it <laughs> every dang time because I've actually been in places in my life growing up where people didn't have running water and it's really it sucks and it makes life a lot more difficult so 
do those kind of things. Like they're just simple little practices to take you out of your own struggle. Your struggle is valid. Your struggle is yours. And sometimes we just need to be reminded to poke our heads out of the foxhole and look around and understand that we're not alone and other people have the same struggles. So with that, we encourage you to check us out on our links. Um, if you want to work with Tanji, if you want to work with me, if anything that we're, we're saying relates to you and you go, yay, uh, Camp Athena is currently, you know, gearing up and learning how to live in a virtual world. But we're hoping, you know, by the early summer that we're able to get back in the studio and, and get more swords in ladies' hands and do that thing. And uh, the She Shed will hopefully be doing at least some virtual concerts by this summer. And we just want to make sure that everybody is okay and thriving. And that's why we do this frequency thing to help remind people. Right. And so if you're feeling a little lonesome and lonely, you can shoot us an email. We are spiritual frequency host. That's with an S at gmail.com. And we are always available to you on our Facebook group page, just carrying on conversations because we don't want anybody to feel like they are out there in the darkness alone. You most certainly are not. Because we feel you. Yeah, if you don't have a friend, you've got two now. That's right. <laughs> well, until next week, my love. We love you so much. Thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on The Spiritual Frequency.